Today we're going to be wrapping up our series in Acts 1 and 2. Uh, here in a few minutes we're going to look at Acts 2, 14 through 41. If you want to go ahead and turn there. And uh, we are going to read the entirety uh, of that section of Scripture. Uh, last week, part of what I emphasized regarding the empowering of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts 2 uh, was how important it is for us to encounter the Holy Spirit for our personal spiritual lives. So when we actually experience God, instead of just learning about Him, when we actually feel God's presence, it has a way of taking our faith from the head to the heart. And that's a great thing when that happens. Such experiences with the Holy Spirit, they mark us for life. And so they become very helpful in our weak moments. They become very helpful in our questioning moments when our, when our faith is weak. Because we can never deny what we encountered. We can't deny what we experienced. The, the, the experience with the presence of God that we had. And so this is a thing that strengthens our faith. Uh, and at times, uh, I believe, I've seen this in my own life, it helps to preserve our faith. And so experiences with the Holy Spirit are very personally edifying for a believer. But there is a danger that exists here, because if we aren't careful, we can come to view encounters with the Holy Spirit entirely in terms of personal edification, when they are really about so much more than that. Uh, I grew up, as I think most of you, if you've been around here any length of time, know, I grew up in Pentecostal churches, and, and I saw this situation play out over and over again, and I've also seen it play out in some of our more charismatic-leaning vineyard churches. Now, before I say this, let me just be very clear uh, that I have a lot of positive things to say about our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, my own personal experience growing up in Pentecostal churches. But, but this observation is one that I made uh, growing up there, and that is that a lot of times believers become susceptible to viewing experiences with the Holy Spirit almost entirely in terms of the personal blessing that is derived from it. The personal edification that's experienced when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I think you know that you're experiencing this type of thing when every church service is judged by how people felt during the service. Or when every service is geared toward having some dramatic demonstration of the power of the Spirit. Or when people constantly judge one church service against the one before the church service, uh, the, the church service before, and, and that the expectation is that each succeeding church service is going to have an increasingly intense spiritual encounter. Most of you probably have no idea what I'm talking about because you didn't grow up in that type of church tradition and because I certainly don't think we're that type of church for which I'm thankful because those types of churches are exhausting to pastor. There's a lot of pressure to deliver the power of the Spirit every week. You know what I'm talking about, Stan? 
Okay. Thanks for the affirmation. I was feeling a little, little lonely there. But before I start rambling about all of that, let me simply come back to the basic point that I want to make to get started today. And that is, encounters with the Holy Spirit, experiences where you know that you've encountered and that you have felt God, those experiences are personally edifying and that's a great thing. But the empowering of the Holy Spirit is for far more than personal edification. It's for far more. And so today we're going to look at Acts 2, 14 through 41, and we are going to discover the purpose of Pentecost, or another way to say this is the purpose of the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to read the entirety of those verses. It's long. Concentrate real hard. And follow along as I read. Here's what we find. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus and we to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven and yet to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord is my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool uh, for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. 
and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What a wonderful passage of scripture. Isn't that a wonderful passage of scripture? Amen. So there's enough in those verses that we could talk about them for weeks. But today I just have three things that I want to highlight. And before I do that, I just have to say that in my view, I'm sorry for the, whatever the rest of you think, but it's miserably hot in here. So if somebody could please turn the temperature down about two degrees, that would, that would help, the, help the preacher a lot. So, and my apologies if you're cold, but it's all about me. So, <laughs> whatever. So, <laughs> so, three things about the purpose uh, for which believers then were empowered by the Spirit. And those three things still apply to us today. Again, the empowering of the Holy Spirit is for more than personal edification. Believers receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of gospel proclamation. We're empowered by the Spirit to proclaim the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell on the believers, as we saw last week. They miraculously spoke in languages they had never learned. This led to a crowd forming around them because the visitors to Jerusalem were shocked that the disciples were speaking in each of their native tongues about the wonders of God. And with the crowd gathered in amazement at what they saw, verse 14 tells us that Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. And what he presented to the crowd that day was the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. He began by explaining to them in verses 14 through 21 that what they were witnessing that day was the fulfillment of prophecy that came from the prophet Joel. And then after letting them know that this is exactly what their prophet Joel had prophesied about, in verse 22, Peter proclaimed the life of Jesus to them. Jesus was a man accredited by God to you through miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. He proclaimed the life of Jesus. He reminded them of the works that Jesus did while he walked among them. And he declared to them that Jesus was approved by God and that it was God himself who was working through him. And then in verse 23, he transitions from proclaiming the life of Jesus and he proclaimed to them the death of Jesus. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. What happened to Jesus, he tells them, was the plan and the purpose of God. But even though that's true, 
Nailing him to the cross was a wicked thing done by wicked men. And he implicates them all in Jesus' death. This is not 21st century preaching. You, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. He proclaimed the life and the death of Jesus. Proclaimed to the gathered crowd that they were complicit in Jesus' death. And he proclaimed the cross, the means by which Jesus died. And then in verses 24 through 36, he boldly proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then in verses 25 through 28, Peter quotes David. And then it says in verse 30 that David was a prophet. And reminds them in verse 31 what David prophesied about. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. So the prophet Joel told about Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit. The king and prophet David foretold of the resurrection of Jesus that Peter is now proclaiming. And then in verse 32, Peter proclaims that God has indeed raised Jesus to life. And the disciples and the apostles are all witnesses to the fact that Jesus is risen. It's not, it's not an opinion. It's not an illusion. It's not, it's not a good story they decided to tell. It is, a, it is a fact. They are all witnesses to it. It's a fact. And then in verse 33, Peter proclaims that the risen Jesus is exalted at the right hand of the Father... And that it is this exalted, risen and exalted Jesus who has poured out the Holy Spirit as all of the gathered people have witnessed. And then in verse 36, Peter declares who Jesus is to the assembled crowd who are complicit in Christ's death. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Wow, the guy you killed, he's in charge of everything. Uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh. The empowering of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was for the purpose of gospel proclamation. And the gospel, the good news that Peter preached was, and it is today, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So yes, the empowering of the Holy Spirit is personally edifying. But the purpose for the empowering of the Spirit is the proclamation of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. However you want to phrase it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the empowering of the Spirit. However you want to phrase it, whatever you want to call it, it is for the purpose of fueling gospel proclamation. And just as much as they needed the empowering of the Spirit to proclaim the gospel then, we need the empowering of the Spirit to proclaim the gospel 
now. As I shared last week, the Spirit empowered them to speak in languages they had not learned. I believe what we need today, on June 21st, 2020, is for the Holy Spirit to empower us with boldness that most of us have never had. Just as the Spirit empowered Peter to preach the first sermon of the Christian church, we need the Spirit to fill our mouths with the gospel. At home, at work, at school. To supernaturally prompt us when to speak and when to be silent. To supernaturally guide us what to say and what not to say in each and every circumstance. And so... The purpose of the empowering of the Spirit is gospel proclamation, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which let me remind us all that the Apostle Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, that this message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is what is of first importance. First importance. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Listen, I think we can agree there are a lot of things that Christians can and, and really should be involved in. Christians should do everything we can to alleviate temporal suffering uh, for people in the world. We should, when we're able, meet material needs for people, do things that we might call mercy ministries. We should do those types of things. The church, I believe, is, is called to those things. They are worthwhile. But we must never forget that what is of first importance is the proclamation of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what's of first importance. The proclamation of the gospel by which people believe and are saved and receive more than temporal help and comfort. They receive eternal life. And if you think that's off base in any way, let me remind you that Jesus once scolded people who were hungry for coming to him for food rather than eternal life. Probably ought to preach about that. We, we can do everything that God's called us to do, but what is of first importance is the proclamation of the gospel by which people say are saved and receive eternal life. And that's our next point. The proclamation of the gospel leads to people hearing the truth, believing the truth, receiving the truth, and being saved. Verse 37 tells us that when the people heard the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus proclaimed, when they heard that the one they crucified was both Lord and Christ, they were, quote, cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, Peter had already given an answer to this earlier in his sermon when he had quoted Joel in verse 21 and said, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
But in response to their question in verse 37, Peter uh, gives them more information in verses 38 and four through 40. Here's what he says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Let, let, let me just stop here for a minute. There is a really unfortunate thing that exists within the evangelical church, which is the notion that baptism is a take-it-or-leave-it opportunity. It is not. We do not have to believe that the act of baptism itself saves us to affirm what the Scripture clearly says. This is not a take-it-or-leave-it opportunity. Peter says... Be baptized, every one of you. Okay, I'll move on. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words that we're not told about, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent and be baptized. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those were Peter's answers to those who came to realize they were responsible for the death of Jesus, who is Lord and Christ. And friends, those are still the answers today when we come to realize that it was our sin that caused Jesus to die. What shall we do? Call on the name of the Lord. Repent. Turn away from sin. Turn away from the evil one and turn to Christ. Identify your life with Jesus. Take on Christ. Receive his spirit into your life. The purpose of the empowering of the Holy Spirit is to fuel gospel proclamation, which results in people hearing the truth, believing the truth, receiving the truth, and that, friends, leads to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Jesus was getting ready to leave. He's going to let his disciples know what they were supposed to be doing until he would return. And here's what he said, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I really didn't mean to drive home this point today, but it's just occurring to me as I'm preaching, let's, let's look at the great commission again, the words of Jesus. What did, what did he say to do? Make disciples. And then what's he say? Baptize them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You don't say that about a, eh, eh, take it or leave it, eh. Do it, don't do it, doesn't matter. You don't do that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The personal edification that comes from encountering and being empowered by the Spirit is an absolutely wonderful thing. 
But the empowering of the Spirit is for so much more. It's for gospel proclamation. It, it is for people being saved. It is for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And then verse 41 tells us about the fruit from that day of Pentecost. The fruit that resulted from uh, this outpouring of the Spirit. And here's what it tells us. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Friends, that only happens through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But here's the truth. Every single conversion that has ever happened anywhere at any time it only happened because of the work of the Holy Spirit that's the only way anyone ever gets saved is through the work of the Holy Spirit but the Spirit works through people the Spirit enables people to speak in languages they've never spoken before the Spirit empowers a man who 50 days earlier denied with cursing that he even knew Jesus. And now, 50 days from denying Jesus, he gets up, fueled by the Spirit, and preaches an amazing Holy Spirit power-packed message. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And we need to be people who allow the Holy Spirit to empower us to do things that we just can't do in our own strength. And I keep getting drawn to this idea. I know I've, I've said it over and over the last couple of weeks, but, but the thing that I most have felt like the Spirit has impressed on me these last couple weeks, is that we need the Spirit to empower us with boldness that so many of us simply do not have. So that we can actually start opening our mouths and telling people about Jesus. The gospel must be told, friends. There's an idea that's taken root in the church that you can just live the gospel, and that's good enough. But at best, what living the gospel and people seeing the gospel in your life will do is prompt someone to say, hey, tell me why you're different. Tell me why you're motivated to do all of those things you do. Tell me why... You don't lie and cheat and steal. Tell me why you don't curse like a sailor. <laughs> right? Okay. All right. Tell me why. At some point, friends, we've got to open our mouths. And we've got to tell the gospel. I hope every single person here today has powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit that affirm your faith, encourage you, 
let you know that you know that you know that you've experienced God, you've felt God in a way that you cannot deny. I hope that those experiences mark you for life. What I've said today does not change what I said last week. I, I hope that happens for you. I, I think we need that in our lives. But I also hope we'll realize that our encounters with the Spirit and the empowering of the Spirit is not just for personal edification. We need the Spirit to do what God has called us to do, to be His witnesses, to proclaim the good news. And as we do, I believe we're going to find that more people believe the truth and get saved and will be able to actually be a contributing part of seeing the Great Commission fulfilled. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Amen. Let's stand.